0: What is up, everybody? It is Tuesday, which means uh that it is time for yet another super exciting episode of the Hold That Podcast podcast. T Bob week edition from off the bench 1045 ESPN. Uh god damn, Brody, don't talk until I introduce you. Um that is Brody Miller of the Athletic. Welcome, Brody. Well,
1: Peacock, y'all let me fly.
0: Yeah, that's true. I don't no, want to no, hold do you it. down. Uh it is the bye week, though, which thanks for being here. We are both loving. Um, The schedule's way less. Yesterday, instead of going show into press conference, returning at 6 at night downtown just for a player interview, uh, instead of all that, I got done with work and I played WoW Classic and then took care of my daughter all day. How's she doing? Uh, She's doing great. And that is something that will continue. Um, I talked about this to the show this morning, but I love my family. I love my wife. I love my baby daughter. Um, but they are leaving town What for 10 days Not without you, without me, what? starting Friday. I mean, I can't go anywhere during football season, right? Where are they going? Uh, Where's they, secret? I don't know. so she, no, 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 She's going to Atlanta. Um, or, or that's where she's from. Her parents are there, but she's working a couple weddings and they're on back to back weekends. So instead of coming home in the middle of it and then flying back, she's like, we'll just stay. She's, she's going to stay there for the whole time. But what that means is that I'm going to have 10 yeah. days of bachelorhood. To myself. And it comes at a we dangerous time. Hell no. Uh, just one uh, night. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Maybe a Superior uh, Margarita. All I want to do... Okay, no, Superior Margarita See, you dabble, is give me. You dabble, out. you dabble. But all I want to do is play WoW Classic nonstop. That's what I'm going to say. It comes at a time in my life when I am completely rehooked somehow on World of Warcraft. I did not think this would happen, and yet here I am, and I cannot wait.
1: See, I want that for you. So It's going to be incredible. See, Bi-Week Rate for me because it just means... I just, all I ever want in life is to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I still have to, you know, like you and I both still have a lot of work to do. Like bye week doesn't mean we're doing nothing. It's just more. A more it's forgiving. a relative nothing though. It's, it's more, more it's an
0: off-season workload compared to an in-season workload. It's more a forgiving
1: schedule of yeah. places you have to be. That's definitely really the main difference. But you know, I got to see a movie last night. Oh, football nice. Season. I'm a movie guy, as you know. I see, I, like in non-football season, I usually see two to three movies in theaters a week. And during football season, I am lucky if I see one every two weeks. So yeah. I got to see Ad Astra last night. How was it? I thought it was fantastic. I've heard it was fantastic. Yeah. One of my guys You to know what you're getting into. If okay. you go and thinking you're gonna see like an intense action space movie, you're not.
0: One of my guys, uh Brian Wood, who is the host of the Movies on the Brain podcast, he um he he's actually gone a bit in, against the grain. He hated it. Said it was very um, wooden. He kind of described it as.
1: See, I think that's what it was going for. I, I read some interviews with Brad Pitt and James Gray, the director, and whatnot, and like that's what they were going for. They're, they're, I mean, not going for not going for wooden, but like it's supposed to be a very introspective, like human, emotional movie about like loneliness and this, like you know, how you close yourself off and try to find you know things like that. It's yeah, not yeah, supposed yeah. to be like a intense space movie, but it kind of got sold as that, so it's tricky.
0: Um. Either way, uh I, I was like you too. I used to love to go to the movies multiple times a week and then uh ever since the baby man, it's just the 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 the, the babysitters lining all that up, it just gets tougher and tougher and I almost never make it to the movies now. Uh, the, the movies that I know I will make it to, uh, when Joker comes out, yeah, I will find a way to be at a theater. And then obviously when Rise of Skywalker comes
1: out, there's okay. gonna be no holding me back from that.
0: See Outside of that, I don't know that there's another movie that I'm going to be able to, or that I will force myself to see in theaters.
1: So, in hindsight, I've gained so much respect for my dad, because even though it's probably bad parenting, but this is how I turned out the way I am, he would just, even when I was little, he would just bring me to the movies that I had no right going to. Oh, nice. Some, like, completely R-rated, you know, raunchy movies he would take me to, because he liked going to the movies, and it was like... I don't. I don't. And I don't think this was father son like bonding time. No, this was him wanting to go to the movie. Yeah, he, didn't he was like, want I'll to bring him. Movie. Yeah, I'll bring him. Why not? <laughs> and guess what? It, it worked. So
0: good for him. Um, if Birdie's audio levels seem a little odd, I'm kind of bouncing back and forth here, trying to find the uh, happy medium. We'll zero to him before the show. But um, You're a Maverick, that was movie talk. Uh, brought to you by the Hold That Podcast. <laughs> it's podcast. Five weeks. We got to branch. Yeah, out a that's what I'm saying. We're chilling. It's, it's it's life is good. And by the way, World of World Cup Classic, very good. Far better than it has any right to be, uh, considering that game came out in 2004. Um, Now, also better than they have any right to be is this LSU offense, Brody. And so we sit here four weeks into the year, and the Louisiana State University Tigers have the number 1 scoring offense in the entire nation, 57.5 points per game. They have a legitimate Heisman candidate at quarterback who is now being considered, um, for the Heisman, what I meant to say, who has now won SEC Player of the Week three out of the four weeks, though? Jamar Chase had an argument this last week that I think maybe... I know it's tough because
1: like Chase plays incredible, but Joe Burrow literally broke the school record. So it's no, like, for
0: sure, but hard, what's yeah. more... Singular a quarterback with six TDs or a wide receiver with four and over two. It, it really doesn't matter. I mean, we are truly splitting hairs here. Uh, either way, though, Burrow now three out of four SEC players of the week. You have a receiving core that tops the conference and nation at pretty much everything. You so we, we asked the question in the very first or second episode of the Hold That Podcast podcast. Our entire conversation was tinged with this idea of ITOS, If the offense succeeds. And my God, Brody, even in my wildest dreams, and I was very optimistic on this offense, um, I was never greedy enough, gluttonous enough um, from a fan perspective. I was never hopeful. Like, I would have never dreamed that it could be this good. I thought it'd be good. This is uh, spectacular. It's astounding. It is literally singular. Number one
1: in the country. Yeah. Number two in SP Plus, which is you know, wow, everything. It's that in Oklahoma, and it seems like it's pretty much them in Oklahoma versus the world. And again, of SP it's, Plus
0: adjusts for opponents and everything, so it's a really big analytical measure. No matter who you success, played, how, often, yeah.
1: how how efficient you are, how explosive you are, combines all these little factors to form a really good solid picture. But I mean, and what, what you're saying is, you could never have expected this. Like, the goal was really like, if you if LSU could just be a top twenty-five offense, yeah, that. All LSU would probably take a massive leap and I think that would have been accurate but the idea that all of a sudden now this is an offensive juggernaut it's a superpower I mean the running game I guess is is pretty good and the passing game is the I w- the best in the country maybe um I mean it's, I mean it's it's either LSU Oklahoma or Alabama I would say yeah I mean from
0: pretty- a raw raw volume standpoint you throw Washington State in there Mike leach and the Cougs. Anthony Bradford?
1: I think statistically they probably are, but I I just wouldn't say they're in that class in terms of just overall.
0: I mean, I don't think they have the talent for sure to hang with the the teams that you just named, um, especially not after they throw nine touchdowns and lose. But, uh, but, but yes, to your point, it's kind of crazy. And this is you could say that LSU is the best passing offense in the country.
1: And this is why Joe Brady, I mean, it's started to really, like this is the first time I've really heard it mentioned, but it's it's accurate. Both Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated and Bruce Feldman of The Athletic have both kind of written in different things this week. Is Joe Brady's probably the front runner for the Frank Broyles Award right now. you got to be. That's, first off, that's crazy because it doesn't often go to a guy who's not even technically the coordinator.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you were going <laughs> to say not 30 years old. He's 30 now.
1: He's 30 now. Yeah, I, I got a kick out of that because that's literally been like, it's been the, the line for the past week, few like months. It's just you know when a guy's like a twenty something hot shot coordinator, no, it's, it's got a certain panache to it. It's like, yeah, this guy thirty, not the same. No, no, I um, I mean I that's how I sell
0: him to people all the time. I'm like, this cat is twenty nine years old, and he's already making hundreds of thousands of dollars. He's revolutionized the LSU offense. Um, I feel good though about him turning thirty for 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 me mainly. <laughs> Because I now feel young again. Joe Brady was the the first person that really just um, made me feel shame for how su- relatively, like how successful he is relative to myself, based on our ages relative to each other. I mean, here's a cat who uh, a couple years younger than me, or basically one year. I guess we're both thirty now, so a little y- less than a year younger than me, and yet infinitely more successful. But now that we're the same age, it doesn't sting quite as much so I kind of feel like I'm back a little bit I'm feeling good
1: no it's a good it's a good week for you and also you know you can just rub in you know like hey you know I was a better player than you. You know, you could drop lines like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll really uh, that'll really help with the argument. Now that he's revolutionized the LSU I, offense and saved the team after a decade of wandering I'm the desert and makes hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, I'd be like, hey, bro, but I played O-line no at LSU. Yeah, just like, I could block you. You know, maybe,
1: that, like, maybe you're a little bigger than him. Maybe, you know, flex on him. I don't know. Just uh, giving you options.
0: Happy birthday to Joe, though. Happy we birthday. do all love you because uh, – or LSU fans do for sure because – now, 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 I think that we could talk a bit about Insminger's role in all this because it is easy to lose sight of what Insminger has done for this team as well, and he has been spectacular himself. But, um, but yeah, I think all of Tiger Nation is wishing Joe Brady happy, happy birthday because the scheme is his.
1: By the way, it would be pretty not funny is not the right word, but pretty ridiculous if Joe Brady just one year into basically being. An actual, you know, like coach on a staff in his career wins the broils before Dave Aranda, who's been a finalist like six <laughs> times. <laughs> well,
0: but that brings up another point. Uh, another surprising, and so th- this episode, I think, is kind of like a taking stock of the season yeah. type of deal, right? We're four weeks in. Another surprising ironic twist is after four weeks. You feel better about the LSU offense than you do the defense. This is a team that we sit here now. We're like, well, if you're going to win games, I mean, it's going to come down to that offense. <laughs> it's, it, and it's just wild it's
1: how quickly things can shift. Um, I think Les East had the best tweet of Saturday, and it was, "I'm old enough to remember when Dave Aranda was Joe Brady." Was, <laughs> that's just such oh, a perfect, yes, like, subtle tweet. Less Less is good on them
0: subtle little, uh, yeah, them was, subtle little less, shots. Less is more. He does he does great, but uh but but he's not wrong. He's not wrong. So let's okay, let's let's maybe just start there then. Um because I've been trying to interpret this L shoot defensive performance a lot against Vanderbilt. And to be fair, I haven't been able to really go rewatch the film. I don't know what's going on. I recorded it. I have Hulu TV. I recorded it on there. These mother th- these guys are trying to make me watch commercials in the recording of the game that I made. That's not okay. It's not okay. 2019, we don't you can't do watch film that way. I, I, Very upsetting. Anyway. Maybe um, like, in your breakdowns, you can also throw some ads in there. Point being is that I haven't been able to watch this game as closely as I want. But my big thought coming out of the Vanderbilt game, it, well, first off, look, anybody who wants to throw 38 points given up at me, it wasn't 38 by the defense. It was 24 yes. by the one. defense. So Very that's, that's, that's that, that, eh? off the top. Um, secondly, even some of those points, how much stock can you really put into anything that happened like past halfway through the third quarter in that game? Um, but my biggest thing, Brody, and maybe you can help with this cause you're the analytics guy. Um, we need to establish what an acceptable statistical bar is yeah. for a defense that is paired with an offense that is scoring touchdowns with an average drive time of a minute and 48 seconds.
1: Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. It's definitely something worth looking into. And I would love to actually like do the research on an that. And he where are you at? <laughs> Cause it is now I would go back to LSU is like 38th in S and P plus defense. So, I mean that, that does say like overall, it doesn't have not a good, clause, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a little, it's, you know, if you only give up touchdowns on two out of, like, 15 drives when in a normal game you could have, like, 10 drives, I don't know, like, you have to...
0: Well, and, and so I was trying to, I was just trying touchdowns. to look at, like, teams relative to each other and see, like, okay, how's this break down, and I, um, I just, I just, just very simple off the top, I, I haven't dug too much deeper, but to look at the top 25 scoring offenses in the country, look at the top 25 scoring defenses in country, uh, it should come as a little surprise there is little crossover in those groups of 25. Um, and then almost all of the top 25 defenses, when you look at the offensive style that those teams play, it's like Wisconsin and Georgia, yes. and it's it's very ball control, more old school styles. Now Alabama's still one of the crossover teams. Ohio State is still a crossover team. And let's be Clemson. clear, everything to this point in the season is tinged, Clemson, is tinged with uh, bad... Like we're at the beginning of the season, everybody's played bad teams. Maybe one good team in the bunch, but like a lot of these numbers are probably inflated a bit. We'll see them change during conference play. And as we get more of a conference sample, those are the numbers that we'll really focus in on. But yes. just sky high bird's eye view. Um although it doesn't tell the whole story, definitely the style of LSU offense is changing the defensive. Statistical production, and I think will continue to change it. So I do think that LSU fans maybe need a bit of a readjustment as to like, okay, is giving up seventeen versus Vandy is that an acceptable bar yeah. with an offense like this? And I think I
1: don't know. I think maybe it is. Um, I, and I don't even think people are probably mad at the number. I think they're more mad at just kind of the way it looked. It was it was a matter of they just saw some really ugly looking plays, and I think that's just kind of what stuck in people's minds because it is a fast game to look at because you know. Like 90% of the time, LSU won those battles. Like they forced seven, three, and outs. They generally stopped Vanderbilt. Yeah. They just gave up about six or seven pretty big plays. You know, like for example, Keyshawn Vaughn, who's going to play in the NFL, he's a really good running back. He only had about, I want to say, 130 yards, but two of that came, I mean, 95 of that came on two runs. Yeah. You know, it was just like they, they contained him. O'Reilly Neal, the quarterback, was under 50%, only threw for 200 yards, didn't play that great. But he had five passes that were, you know, 26, 28, 30, 30, 32 yards. I think it was just more the the tackling, the little mess-ups, the, you know, but then where's the mess-ups coming from? I know at least two of those big plays came from defensive linemen, who normally would be your, like, third-string defensive linemen, just in the wrong gap or lining up wrong, things like that. That led to a few of those things. So it's just, there keeps being an explanation, and I'm not denying there's some major concerns there. I mean, you really the tackling is kind of inexplicable, especially somebody like a Grant Delpit, Patrick Queen, guys you should trust in those respects. But I just I think it was more optics looked bad than the defense actually looked bad. Plus, you're playing without so many starters.
0: Yeah, and 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 I think it's I think it's um, I think it's easy to accuse us of kind of explaining things away. Although we have no real reason to want to do that necessarily. I'm not, I, and that's what I'm going to be clear about. I'm not trying to explain things away. I still objectively believe that this can be a very good LSU defense. And when you look at, like, just talent and where guys are projecting in NFL drafts, and Fulton I saw as a first-rounder in a mock draft, delve, but, like, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, th- th- this is a defense that still could be or should maybe be better than it is. Like, I, I guess my point is... I still think that this defense is finding its way a little bit this year. I think if you bail on it too soon, I think you will end up being wrong in the end. Now, time will tell whether I'm not right whether I'm right or wrong or that. But to me, Brody, uh, it starts with the injuries. I think that's the yeah, biggest it, factor.
1: You have you can't talk about yeah. it without mentioning that. and injuries
0: are weird. People get weird about injuries because uh, I, I think in a lot of people's minds, the dividing line between excuse and explanation is non-existent. And although injuries are a viable, you know, that's a viable explanation for some struggles, people are going to say, oh, well, you got to build the roster better. You got to do this or that. It's it's no excuse. And 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 that's fine. But I'm still going to, I, I can't talk about a defense not performing up to its you know what what it wants to be and missing four of its front seven starters in one game and then three guys the next like yeah. your
1: best guys are out exactly and it, it would almost i mean this might be dumb but it would almost be one thing if it was like you know you're missing one great defensive lineman and one great inside linebacker and one great safety and it was like divided no you were losing your two best defensive linemen yes. Your star outside linebacker, who you flat out don't have a true backup for that you can really trust, unless you move Divinity back over there, which they did. You now you are losing Divinity for a few weeks, which is not going to make it any easier. I mean, just like that changes everything. Your entire defensive front now, three of your top four, in your front four, are out. Like that changes everything, and that's really what happened against Vanderbilt. Yes, there were the tackles in the back end, but it's I mean that and that that's bad, and that that's something else you needs to fix. And Ed Oshron, we the first to admit that but those situations kept happening because there were just s- screw-ups and you know just sometimes getting beat by teams on the front four. that's probably going to change in the coming weeks they're they're out like and for what it's worth the offense is also going to revert back to the mean a little bit when they play your Auburns your Floridas your Alabama's but I also think the defense is probably gonna move up these rankings quite a bit when you have some more talent there on the defense yeah um and, and so and last thing I'll say I'll, I'll say yeah it's it's one thing if you're complaining about injuries and these guys are out for the year and you just have to make do with it. But we know, aside from Divinity right now, we know most of these guys are going to be fine. So that's why we're using it as an explanation.
0: Now, we actually, um, if you were a better beat writer, you would know this. Uh, but we had an Orgeron on our show this morning. I know, I saw. You and he said that uh, he actually expects Divinity back in a couple weeks. Yeah. So, um, oh, I saw, uh, so, you know, so not that bad of an injury. Well, I'm uh, just saying he's probably gonna miss the message. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just, he's gonna miss the message. I don't want to tell you how to do your job. I I tweeted it out, actually. But, um, oh, did you? Yeah, did you tweet it out with a link to the interview? I added you. Wow, I, I mean, <laughs> hey, Jesus Christ, people, that's enough out of you, but. No, yeah, I'm, but I'm, no, he'll probably I'm, miss I'm, the I'm SEC game. Yeah, yeah, so I mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for but, sure. But yeah, so he's probably... going to be a couple weeks. Uh, the real bummer injury-wise coming out here is Terrace Marshall. Yes. You've written about him. His story, he already overcame a lot of injury adversity. It's a great story. And now here he is, and he's in the shit again with a uh, foot stress fracture, which is not cool, and he had surgery on it. But but even though was saying that he expects him back maybe late in the year, um, it just sucks for Marshall because I feel like he put in so much work to get back to this point and then right when he had finally ascended and everything was working and he's in the zone he's in the nation lead for touchdowns he's now sidelined for weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, late in the year is kind of relative. I think he could be back by, you know, a Mississippi State or an Auburn. Uh When is that in relation to Bama? Oh, it's before Alabama. It's like 2 weeks before Alabama. Oh, I would be okay. Okay, maybe so. Maybe so. I've heard 3 weeks. I've heard Three to six weeks, I've heard you know
0: different things. Man, uh, three weeks for a stress fracture foot that had surgery? I'm not a doctor, but that's... Yeah. Uh, no, I know.
1: No, I know. I mean, well, I'm not I, a doctor,
0: so I actually don't even know. I would lean more statement. to a four to six, doctor, so but I, no clue.
1: I would be shocked if he's not back by... Not shocked, but I'd be pretty surprised if he was not back by Alabama. How about that? Okay. Um, I'm maybe not as confident,
0: but I hope you are correct for his sake and for the team's. Uh, last thing on the defense, I'll say, so it starts to the injuries... Miss tackles, I think, are the next culprit. And that's what that that's what they really got to work on. And he said they've they've logged all their missed tackles for the year. Uh, they have analysts working through like what went wrong technique wise, how do they practice it. So and he said they're gonna have to do some live tackling. So that's something that's gotta be fixed. And that can start with guys like Grant Delpa. But but after that, man, I yeah, this this defense is going to improve. It's gonna be better. I don't know if I believe it's ever going to be elite anymore, yeah. both because of they have red flags and the LSU style of offense, but it's not going to be easy to throw the ball on this LSU team, I don't think, uh, which it's already not easy because Derek Stangley, speaking of good performers, Brody, yeah. singly leading the nation in pass breakups, I believe, yep. and uh, and now with his first career interception. How nice and perfect was it? that his helmet popped off on that interception. <laughs> and he just so just left could, it. <laughs> he, yeah, hell yeah, man, cuz that's your moment. Your helmet legally came off. Embrace it. Announce oh, yourself to the world. It's like the old U documentary, uh the 30 for 30 the U, which <laughs> has a special place in the 2011 team football team's heart just cuz like they celebrated so much. They anyway, in the documentary, they had a guy who he scored a touchdown, he explained it. He was like, "Man, when basketball players make a big play, or baseball players make a big play, like everybody can see him, they can see their face. They know who they are. So after he scored the touchdown, he took off his helmet to celebrate, so that everybody could see him. Right, and he got a penalty. Obviously, Derek Stingley managed to get that recognition. That are you not entertained? Announcement to the world, uh, and he got away without a flag. It just it, destiny worked out perfectly in that
1: moment. It was perfect because he had dropped like drops a tricky word, but he had missed like five chances for it. Pretty. E- not easy interceptions, honestly. Yeah. So it was perfect that his first one, of course, came on like a tough one-on-one jump ball where his helmet comes off. It felt fitting, and yeah. him of him of all people, he'd be the last person I would expect to, to run around like that. But hey, exactly. It's deserved. It's deserved. It's well
0: deserved, and it was kind of his. Uh, and 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 I wonder, man, how how much longer are teams going to continue attacking? Because everybody thinks they can put In their senior strength. guy on him and that it's going to work out for them. They're going to put their best receiver on them. And that was a great battle on Saturday. What's that Vandy's receiver's name? Why am I blanking? Oh, it's – um, Mike Atelier he was Lipscomb? all about him. Uh, yes, he's yeah. an NFL prospect. He'll be in the league. Same thing Colin Johnson tried with Texas. Let's pick on the freshman, and he has passed every test with flying yeah. colors. So like missed some tackles, point, I guess, but – Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm talking purely past events. At what point do teams stop um, – Stop trying to attack Stingley, and 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 then obviously
1: who you're gonna attack? You're gonna attack Fulton? I don't think that's gonna go very well for you either. No, that that's kind of what goes back to like our number one topic of discussion last week, and we don't have to dive into it again. But you probably have to attack the middle of the field at that point. And then I'm really curious what Dave Aranda does to to counteract that because teams have had success passing across the middle of the field against the LSU. Yeah, what do you think about that? This last game it wasn't as much of a problem. Yeah. I mean, what? Well, I mean, I'm not really scared of Riley Neal though, so I'll probably. I'm probably going to reserve judgment on that until maybe the Florida game. But I know.
0: I find this defensive performance against Vanderbilt just so tough to kind of parse through what matters and what doesn't just because of the
1: environment, how big the lead got. You uh, know what it is right now? You know, I just realized, like, well, the way we have to talk about this defense right now is exactly the way we had to talk about Joe Burrow last year. Mm. Where it was it last year i just like i became this broken record i'm curious how how you were about it and it was like i'm not claiming joe burrows really good i have no clue right now and that's my point about last season it was the offensive line was a mess the offense didn't work all yeah. these things and it's like guys i'm not saying joe burrows good i'm just telling you that none of this is proof he's bad none of it i don't uh-huh. think any of it was actually an indicator of how good he was just wait and see cuz it didn't this doesn't This isn't a good judgment. And then he showed the last four games what it could be. And that's exactly where I am with this defense. I I don't know it's good. I just don't know it's bad.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the perfect way. I think that really is a very succinct way to kind of sum up the the attitude facing this defense right now. Um, A lot of potential on him. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, Offensively, obviously, I mean, I don't know. I'm at a loss for... How quickly we've just gotten so spoiled and how unbelievably easy it looks and how consistent it is. Um talking about the offensive success. And then I loved what uh, Will, had, Will Wade had to <laughs> say. So they asked Wade about football, and he's like, look, man, I'm not a football coach, but I do see a completely new offensive system. But then he pointed out something that is so key. We haven't talked about a lot, though, which is that In his coach's mind, what stood out to him, yes, it's a new system, but why that's so impressive is how smoothly that transition has gone. Like, you go to Texas week two on the road against a blitz-heavy Todd Orlando team and you don't just look functional, you look good. Like, you look smooth. Like, like nobody if, – if I put you if, – if I, if I took all context out of the situation and you had no idea about anything with LSU football and I showed you this offense, there would be a 0% chance that you would say that this is the first year that they're running this system. And, and to me, to hear Wade talk about that, yeah. I do think that's important to highlight. That transition has been spectacular. And we've talked about it, that outside looking in – Because of how they handle things like the Texas game and because of that smooth operation, it definitely feels like these coaches are doing a very good job offensively of communicating responsibilities to these kids and and, and what they need to do. And word on the street is that a lot of that goes back to Ensminger, is that um, he is is kind of the great communicator and the guy who can get that messaging across, not only between coaches, but between the coaches
1: and the players as well. No, I think that's a great point. I think a lot of people do deserve credit in this. I think one thing that goes back to this offense is it is... In a, it seems so complicated to us, but I think the way they do communicate and the way they install it is actually really simple. And that's great coaching. That's that great coaching. That.
0: Make it look complex outside looking in, but make it really simple somehow to your players. That's something Matt Canada talked about a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, he actually probably did a pretty good job yeah. at with how
1: everybody was able to shift <laughs> and stay on it. But um, that's, that's what people credit Dave Aranda in his whole career for. Yes, of, he exactly. Just, he's a smart guy and all these things, but his number one skill is he's just this incredible educator. and. And you even you, you hear the way people talk about him, Mike Leach. That's his number one skill. And uh, is you you know he just keeps things really simple. He's not looking at like. The, did you read that athletic course um, story on the quarterback rooms at Washington State? No, uh, it's maybe the most entertaining thing I've read in 2019. Oh, got Have out. to read it. It's like an oral history of what his quarterback rooms are like. But the number one thing that kept coming up is like these quarterbacks would try to pick his brain about like, man, what are you seeing on this progression? What should I be looking for here? And he's just like. Is he open or is he not? Like it's just <laughs> he tries to keep it so ridiculously simple, and it's actually and it's fascinating because right now it's like Washington State quarterback takeover time. Ah, man, I mean it is, it is. But Edgar like Minshew, Luke Falk, all Cliff Kingsbury was a former coach, yeah. uh, quarterback. Uh, Graham Harrell, you know, there's something to that. No, look, I love um, I love the Minshew mania
0: that's going on. I think it's excellent. How how smoothly getting Jack Jacksonville's just incredible. Uh, I I do feel for Leach though a bit man. Wazoo can never not blow it. Like everybody else is losing in the Pac-12. You're thinking they're good, they'll be fine until Washington stay. and and then they, or they'll be fine maybe till Washington and then they 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 go and they throw nine touchdowns against UCLA and lose. They lose the game. Are you kidding me? Nine touchdowns. They were up by like 30 something in the third quarter and they lost the game. Oh, that's an all-timer. Yeah. But I forgot what we were talking about. No, I, well, I was going to say, I just great. can't get over I know, I'm like, where were we? <laughs> I have no idea, but I just feel I love Mike Leach. Oh, everyone loves Mike I love Washington State. My best friend went to Washington what State. Went- All I want is for them to win the Pac-12, yeah. and they keep
1: blowing it. What if Tennessee didn't fire John Curry and actually hired Mike Leach? I mean, Tennessee. That's an all-time like, what-if. What are you doing? You know what that is? Tell me.
0: That's fat Phil Fulmer trying to move himself into the
1: coaching Did job. Did you see that... Uh, <laughs> Pete Thamble's takedown of uh, Phil Fulmer? No. Uh, Yahoo. It was an all it was a really good read, but it was an all-time just, just shit. Was it all during, of, like right after all that stuff went down? Was, I think it was Monday morning. I or mean Sunday Phil morning.
0: Fulmer literally like uh like like the puppet master, like the master of whispers, pulling strings, like Game of Thrones. He literally he Game is, of Thrones, that entire situation. Yes, he little fingered it and he got himself. Put in as athletic director. Or even
1: back in the 90s when he's the one who, like, planned to basically get Johnny Majors out. Uh, you know. And, oh, I didn't know about all that. Oh, that was, I forget all the, so don't quote me, but I mean, I think he was sick for a little bit and then he basically plotted to basically, like, get that job out from his mentor. Yeah, it's, it's oh. ridiculous. He's, well, as, as you said, Tennessee,
0: uh, I'm sure you're very happy you Mike that you chose to go with the, uh, Phil Fulmer, Jeremy Pruitt, power couple. And, 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 and Arkansas you, is no different. right? I, I'm not even convinced. I'm 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 not uh, uh, convinced that uh, Phil Fulmer isn't loving Jeremy Pruitt's struggles. This is all lining up for Phil to hire oh. himself as interim head coach. And the
1: best part is the rumor going around. Apparently, is that. He's waiting until they get through the bad part of the schedule. So it's like. (laughs) So they're like one in seven going into the UAB game. And then Phil Fulmer will come in and look like the hero. The only thing about this is.
0: If the bad part of the schedule is the part that involves Georgia State and BYU, then, uh, man, that gives you some oh. context. About <laughs> I mean the heart of that. SEC. <laughs> <Yeah>, schedule. <but. laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, right, like the beginning here, Phil. Uh, but, yeah, Jeremy Pruitt, you suck. Phil Fulmer, you suck. And I feel bad for John Curry. You had Mike Leach want to go to Tennessee, and uh,
1: they blew it. Anyway, I have no idea how well, we ended up here. We're talking about the offense and yeah. how they keep it simple and all those things. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do think – it's one, it's, I mean, we've been, we both seen a good amount of college football, you specifically, and you know, like, as much as you want to sell some of these perfect coaching tandems and all these things and how cohesive things can be, it's hard to really pull off something like just how how these pieces can fit together this well. It's difficult. I and, would, yeah, it is. I. I and Joe I, Burrow's a part of it. He's like the third offensive coordinator. I wish, yeah,
0: and, and that is where it becomes like a stars must align situation, exactly. right? Yeah. You For it have to happen this fast. Yeah. This young. Um, kind of phenom type of coach who was almost incubated in the perfect offensive environment. When you talk about learning RPOs from Penn State and Joe Moorhead and then going to the NFL and learning at the feet of uh, maybe the greatest offensive mind of our era of football. I mean, like who else is in the conversation with Champagne? I know there's others, but from a coaching standpoint, a head coaching standpoint – which offense has been as consistently as successful as the
1: Saints? Huh. I mean, is it like the Patriots? It's the Patriots, but there's no one guy. There's who's no like one guy like there. Payton. I mean, yeah. It's I mean, it's really like your Sean Paytons, your Lincoln Rileys, your Chip Kelly, no matter how bad it's gotten, he's always going to be up there. Yeah. Well, everybody's doing what Jim Kelly was, was
0: doing, right? He was just so far ahead of the curve. Yeah. but okay, but even those guys,
1: no, you're, that's a good. They're part. not
0: doing it on the NFL level. Sean Payton has a, a, consistently like managed to reinvent himself since 2006 to where his offense stays way ahead of the curve, no matter what. Even with the Taysom Hill stuff now, like he's constantly. And point being, huh, yeah, Joe no. Brady was formed in a perfect coaching environment,
1: and even a William and Mary. One of his like mentors there was Kevin Rogers, who was a you know he's not like an alt, one of those guys, but that's William and Mary, and his offensive coordinator there was uh, a former NFL OC. So that's what I'm
0: saying. So it's, it's so, crazy. So and, and so so that's one star is that that cat gives you a presentation on screens that you fall so in love with that you bring him in to be a coach. Uh, the other star is that you already have this play caller in Steve, because Joe Brady's never called plays. Never called I'm not play. to say he couldn't, but he never has. Yeah. You now have a play caller in Steve Enzminger who's been at it forever, uh, called plays like 15 years major college football, but he lacks the 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 ego trait that so many coaches have that could have been disastrous in this setup. Yes. Right, if if Steve Insberg was one of these old school, my way or the highway type of guys, none of this would be working. So now you have a very experienced play caller who can call, who can draw on depths or you know years of 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 communicating with players, calling plays. You team him up with this young Wunderkind who can kind of feed him the scheme and the philosophy that he's looking for, and then you get the third part of the triforce, which as you said is a senior quarterback who only has to take online courses that can be <laughs> at the facility 24-7 that is a coach's son, so he's obsessed with film and all these other yeah, things. And it all just lines up, and what you're seeing now is 57.5 points per game. And, like, look, if you had Miles Brennan in this offense, you'd be good. You'd still be putting up way better yeah. numbers than you have in the past, but it would not reach the astronomical levels that it is right now. There are so many things that had to line up, and that's why LSU – must take advantage of this year because schedule-wise, we talk about injuries. Look at how nice the schedule is for injuries and recovery. Uh, schedule-wise, the 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 Triforce we just talked about, the defensive talent, like maybe three or four first-rounders on this defense this year, everything's aligned. This is a truly championship-caliber team at LSU.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's ridiculous how we're at a point now where I know Ed O'Jean scoffed at the idea, but the offense is kind of carrying the defense. And one last thing I wanted to add, not for, not that you you don't already say this all the time, but just to give Steve Ensminger. Okay, credit, tread carefully, yeah, Brody. Okay, let's, okay. I'll sit for five. Uh, is the one thing Steve Ensminger doesn't get a ton of credit for is that he is. I remember this was kind of something people would talk about when he first got hired for this job in the first place was. I think a lot of the times in modern offensive coordinators, these young hotshot guys, they're coaching scheme more than they're coaching you know, when you have like the quarterback O C thing and there aren't enough You know, guys who really want to teach the quarterback little nuances, the footwork, the little just tight little things that I'd probably go above my head. And Steve Ensberg and George Munoz, the analysts, they both get a lot of credit for that in Joe Burrow's development. And that's something that's not going to be as sexy or as talked about. But Joe, that's the one thing Joe Burrow talks about is that his footwork is the biggest thing that improved. That's what his dad talked about. He's like, people talk about all these other things, but... Steve Ensminger and George Munoz get a ton of credit for that.
0: Brody, I felt like I read this story somewhere. Where where would I have read a hey, story
1: about the at the development athletic. of Joe Brady? But yeah, even that, I'll admit, I buried that kind of low in the story. Pitch, pimp your story. It's yeah, a I story. A, okay. I had a story last week on Joe Burrow and how all the ways he's great. evolved as a quarterback, whether it be through training at 3D QB and all their high tech stuff, or at Ohio State now at LSU.
0: Anyway, and it's no, and for those out there, it's excellent and it gives insight into exactly what Brody talks about the elements of quarterbacking that we often on this side of the equation overlook or undervalue. Or well, we and, just
1: don't understand.
0: Yes, don't understand. That's yeah. probably fair. Uh, just how much of that is built through your footwork. And, and I really loved reading about – I've always heard about Tom House, who's yeah, the – uh, He's the MLB teacher who does, like, biomechanics and teaches people how to throw footballs, baseballs, whatever. But uh, him talking about how arm strength is really generated from the ground and your hips and your lower body. its like It reminded me of, like, how they teach you how to throw a punch. But um, it is— <laughs> No one's uh, taught me that yet, man, as it you is, can't tell. Well, I, got re- I hate running. So I got really into, like, kickboxing and UFC classes nice. for a while because that was a way to substitute conditioning because—
1: Do you want to do kickboxing together or be— I ain't running down.
0: Yeah, you don't want to see me on kickboxing. Let's bro. do
1: kickboxing together. But it could be like a you know a, a co-host like
0: like a spar. You want to spar? You want to do a little? Spa? It could be like a thing to like <laughs> you know build camaraderie. Yeah, yeah. You know? like a little, uh, like a little outside. I'm not going kickboxing with you now. If you want to come to yoga
1: Lottie's with me, I would totally do that.
0: Ah, uh, come on, don't fuck with me. That's my It's fun. I'm telling you, you'll die the first couple times, but it'll be great. Yeah. Um, anyway. Point being, go read Birdie's article on The Athletic about Joe Burrow and his development because I think that whole article answers something that we asked, which was how has the accuracy improved so much? Or at least that's been one of the elements because that is something that generally is a huge separation point for quarterbacks that is hard to drastically improve on.
1: And it's fascinating because that was his calling card for so long. That was like literally what he was known for. He was known Mm -hmm. for not having great arm strength but he was really smart and he had this amazing accuracy and it kind of got away from him last year and he admits that his dad admits that everyone does it he wasn't very efficient and he would point to his footwork for why that got lost and i think it's not, and I, I want to make it clear: I, the Tom House stuff was just fascinating, but that was three years ago. Yeah, but, so it wasn't like that's what may, led to this happening. But I think what happened last season was, with all the issues going on, he just kind of got away from some of those lessons learned. And the last thing, well, and he was learning new lessons, right? Being yes, under center, so it's, it's, it's a whole new, yeah, and whole new setup there. And one thing that was really interesting, his dad said, when I was asking about all this was, and for reference, his dad, Jimmy Burrow, longtime defensive coordinator, he knows this as well as anyone. He's like, I think he's like the thing people are glossing over the most was he hadn't started in competitive football games in like four years yeah he just like last year was him getting and granted maybe he shouldn't have needed that but like it was his first time needing to actually learn how to play against all these things to face sec defenses to adjust all the things and football's changed in those four years and I think that and like that's the biggest thing that's changed and why he's jumped this year is he learned all those lessons from last season. Yeah, there's nothing uh there's a
0: reason why there's all these cliches about, you know, uh, live bullets and you can't simulate them, and and it's because there it is it is, you know, it is the element of truth to that. Uh the I, I like that you pointed out the house stuff was a while ago. You're right. Because if you're talking about specifically with that article, it was Ensminger's work with his footwork yeah. that he credits as having a uh, a very big improvement.
1: And by the way, Joe Burrow, he's he's an actual em- NFL prospect now,
0: like uh, yes, like a first round potential it's NFL CBS prospect, Adam's top fourteen. Ah, uh, that's wow. which but makes you, sense. So, I mean, if you're watching oh. the film, like what are you like? What element of first round quarterback does he lack? Yeah, maybe like a raw arm strength would be the only one. And there is not a more overrated. Uh, there is not a more overrated element of quarterbacking
1: than how strong your arm is. Oh, okay. I thought you were going somewhere. Um, yes, I completely agree. I think that is foolish, yeah. especially in the way modern football is played. You're not throwing on a one-on-one with some tight guy anymore, and you're like, trying to fit in some spot. No, you're throwing to where the open guy is. You yeah. need accuracy and smarts and footwear. That's what number one, and also probably some kind of... As, I hate being this corny, but you need some kind of charisma to be a great quarterback. You need
0: Yes, no man, you are a leader of men. You <laughs> need your guys to want to fight for you. And and Joe Burrow has that, man. And that was evidenced by him going over to that Vanderbilt huddle and talking shit oh, and, then, and then and that which was so good. And then Kouchinberry uh having to get involved and pull like the classic like by the way,
1: that was Sadiq Charles. I saw your tweet. You said Oh, that, was, Cush? that was Sadiq Charles. Oh, yeah.
0: it was Charles. Oh, well, now yeah. I feel bad. I feel like I'm not crediting the right guy. But, no, <laughs> anyway, anyway, continue with the joke though cuz no, but it's great. I mean, it, it, it it's like it reminded me of Burrow going over there talking trash when you're out with your friend and one of y'all's way too drunk and they're like harassing every group you pass by and you gotta be the apologetic, like, hey guys, guys, I'm sorry, chill out. He's, he's just really drunk. Don't fight. everybody relax. But you could tell that his line and off. his team has his back. And you know how you get a lot of that too? You prove that you can take a hit. and another thing that my old man always talked about with quarterbacks growing up. One thing that he prided himself on and that he thinks that all great quarterbacks can do and the ones that don't make it cannot is can you, because of how the protection's lining up, can you sit there and you know you're going to get hit, but you know you have to hold on to the ball long enough to get to get everything manipulated where you need it to hit the big play and beat the blitz. But, like, can you sit in there, know you're going to get hit, Keep yourself wide open, still deliver the ball, and then just get crunched. And you saw him do it like three times this last game, and all of last season. <laughs> and, and yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Absolutely. He likes being
1: hit. I mean, so, so he
0: he has he is so he has it all. That's what I'm saying. He has the, he has the accuracy, he has the decision making, and then he has the things that you really cannot teach, which is which are the intangibles. Do guys like playing with you? Are you tough? Are you a good
1: leader? Are you competitive? And it looks like he has all the intangibles in spades. And it, you know when you look at the NFL draft class, you know I'm never going to pretend I'm a QB analyst and we'll, we can really project these things. But you know you, the top two are pretty unanimously. It's going to be people assume it's going to be Justin Herbert from Oregon and Tua Tagovailoa from yeah. from Alabama. And I feel like right now is it crazy to say Burrow's probably number three in that class? And we're going to play a game right now. Where we always have to do what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's this, mm-hmm. but but you are. So continue. You're part of the problems. <laughs> I mean, that's um, a classic. No
0: offense, but I, I don't know what to tell you. It's I the test, same thing. But, um,
1: <coughs> no, but what I'm gonna be, what I feel like is totally gonna happen with this draft is like, hey, he might probably, people might be degrees like the third best, just like technical quarterback, right? Yeah. But then it's almost like a what I'm gonna say is it's I could see this almost going like a Baker Mayfield two years ago thing where, you know, there's just gonna be that one team or like no one's gonna talk about how good he is, but it's There's just gonna be like one or two teams that are like, oh. I fucking love this guy. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna like Someone's his gonna moxie fall in love. during exactly. interview. That's exactly what I meant. During yeah.
0: interview, somebody's gonna be like, because that's the element that he has. I kind of, oh shit, like I want to run through a brick wall for this guy type of deal. Like he's gonna convince
1: him that, you know, I'm the man. There's and, gonna be uh, one team that falls in love and he's gonna go pretty darn high. That's my prediction. Um can you say to his last name again? Is it Tagovailoa? What's that? I don't know. How would you say? It? Don't, don't do yeah, this. How would you say it? How, how do you say it? How do you say it? I'm not doing this. Say it. I, I admit when I don't know how to say something and I'm going. Um, I don't know. I think it's tongue of a low. I could be wrong. I don't so think so. So just my first
0: syllable was different. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit on the back end, but mainly the first syllable, which is <laughs> pretty, pretty ignorant I know. of
1: you. I know, no, I really want to learn how to say it right. Way to go! I don't spell happy. it perfectly. Uh, That's why which I'm a that more impressive, because yeah. I, I, I can, can spell it perfectly. So you know
0: what? If we flipped it, I couldn't spell it. Yeah. So Now I feel like an asshole. Yeah, I apologize. It'd
1: be one thing if I said it with confidence and I was like, "This is how you say it," you know, like like when you're over pronouncing a French word. But I knew I didn't know how to say it. Yeah,
0: and now I'm the, and now I'm the person that called somebody out for pronouncing something wrong. That's who you it's are. It's like I've lived to become that which I one time hated the most.
1: I've got some self-reflection to do, Brody. Um, one thing I want to jump to, because we haven't talked about it really, though, yes. is we talk so much about Joe, but I think one thing that's almost a fascinating sign of growth in this offense that Terrace Marshall's going to miss quite a bit of time. And I don't think anyone's hitting the panic button. Yeah, because the wide receiver position feels fucking deep. Like, first off, even if just you had that top two of Chase and Jefferson and, and didn't have much depth, you'd be like, oh, we're pretty good at receiver. Yeah. Like, Even <laughs> if it was just that, those yeah. two are two of the seven best in the SEC. Off the top of my head, I've had to chuck up a random number. I mean, I mean you throw in the Alabama those three. The three at Alabama are incredible. Then those two are right there. I don't know. There's probably uh, yeah.
0: We're, I mean, you gotta assume that somebody else has a number one receiver that's like you know up, up there in that pack as well. Yeah, it's
1: tough. No one's jumping. Statistically, to nobody's gonna hit the numbers though. Yeah, and but even, so if even it was just those two, you're probably fine. And then you have my guess. By the way, is I think Stephon Sullivan probably jumps into that role. They oh, basically- you don't think they keep him tight end. I don't know, but I, I've kind of gotten that sense from some people I've talked to, and it would just make sense. He's that same build; he's he can fit in that role. He's I an, thought people were kind of positioning be, um, Racy. I was gonna say it could be. That was gonna be my next thing. And he, my guess is it's either Racy or Sullivan. The thing is, Sullivan's already playing starter minutes anyway. You know, you already know he can play that role. He's an experienced receiver, and you know, if you're picking who you want on the field, if you have a gun to your head, you're probably just maybe by a small margin putting Sullivan over McMath. Yeah, so
0: I guess so that's the question.
1: Is and
0: that's not a diss on
1: McMath. They like him. Is Sullivan,
0: a lot. Chase, Jefferson, and, and then Thad more, Moss, more Moss yeah. better than Chase, Jefferson, McMath, Sullivan? I would guess we see
1: both. I feel like we're splitting hairs. Right. Yes. I mean,
0: like at that point, th- those are two, two pretty even feeling groups. The so point yeah. being, they have depth again.
1: And Derek Dillon can f- slide in too, I think. And, you know, he, he's not that. Dumb. Man, Derek Dillon's going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Exactly. And Derek Dillon doesn't fit that same Terrace Marshall big body role, but Ter- Derek Dillon would be the next receiver up after those ones we just mentioned. Also, uh, I'm really interested. I'm not predicting this. I'm just curious if you know th- use this as a chance to experiment. You, know, you have a game you probably feel pretty confident about against Utah State. Do you maybe use these next two weeks as a chance to experiment more with Trey Palmer? Ooh. Because, yeah, I mean, get him I, the ball. I don't think he's ready to be like a main guy in SEC play, no. but he's so talented. You know, maybe if you can just kind of find some spots for him, he can develop a little quicker. That's just me spitballing. And I mean, I, I actually, I guess, to your point, I could go either way on that because
0: you are so deep that you don't really have the need to try to, like, train Palmer for, like, okay, these are yeah. your two plays and we're just going to try to get you the ball. But uh, if you wanted to, it looks like he could be a good weapon. I would say this about Thad Moss. Um, the funny One of the funniest moments of Saturday's game to me was I realized how spoiled I've become <laughs> when Thad Moss slips and falls on that third and goal. And, like, I'm not really upset that LSU didn't score because I don't care they're going to win the game. But I found myself like kind of legitimately angry uh, for Joe Burrow's completion percentage and for his touchdown statistics because it was the right read, it was right there, should have been a touchdown, and I felt I really did feel bad for Moss because like it would have been awesome, it would have been his first touchdown. Yeah, but, sure. Anything about that? But we are, um, man. It's just so wild how quickly your perspective
1: can shift. Like you drop three points and you're just like... My expectations a, only
0: 80% now, are just out. Yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. And I'm like watching Tua, and Tua's only got like four incompletions, and that's like Burrow's fifth. I'm like, no! It's just too much. It's too much. I just need to be thankful and happy for we live in the era when LSU offense will score 66. We live in the era where LSU offense will give up two turnovers that result in 14 direct points. For an SEC opponent and it doesn't even matter in the slightest. Yeah. Didn't even register. People forget that you had two turnovers, uh, you
1: had a pick six and a and a fumble recovered for a touchdown, and nobody cares. And by the way, obviously we're gonna discuss this more next week because you know, this week it's a bye week and we have another week to talk about it, but Utah State's better than Vanderbilt. I mean, you, Yes Utah yes. State's a good team. That's gonna as much as like we talk about that as should win and they should win, that's not some just like you know, mess around no, try they won 10 ex- games last year Yeah, they won 10 games last year they bring back a ton on defense. See, lost- I only know they won two games. It's like I've been using that. I, I don't actually know that. I'm, I'm sitting here yeah.
0: agreeing with you. I actually don't know that Utah State's a good team. I know nothing about them. I read that they won ten games one time, and for the past four months of my life, I'm just like I <laughs> ten, mean, game wins, ten, ten, ten game wins. That's a good team. That's a good team. I Maybe mean, a group of five. <laughs> that's kind of me with Georgia Southern ten last year <laughs> season. That's, I mean you gotta you gotta come correct. That's just a, a lot team. of vague <laughs> references. To like hey man,
1: they're good. They're <laughs> good. They're <a> pretty <laughs> Which good. Which is squad. also probably how I talked about Vanderbilt, where I was like, yeah, they're
0: bad. Yeah, yeah, couldn't tell well, you I how. Mean, but to be fair, uh, Vandy didn't deserve much more. We told you exactly what was going to happen in Vanderbilt.
1: The, the wide receivers are going to eat the cornerbacks alive, and they did. <laughs> but yeah, Utah State—they bring back a lot on defense. Okay, and they have good defense. Okay. it's top 40 in SP plus. Okay, offense—they lose a lot, but they have Jordan Love, who's you know a genuine star quarterback. Who like you know at one point was even a vague Heisman candidate going into the season. Jordan Love's really good. But sounds like you love him. What happened there, buddy? What? You really settled on that joke? I do. I mean, it's uh, it, it. It just it happened. It popped. Look, I thought it a in theme my head. in this. It is popped into my head, and I thought it was funny. The common theme with us these last few weeks is telling each other when we think their jokes are funny or not, and we got to move past that, which I think the yogurts might help. Ah, uh, is that how we're gonna get a little breakthrough? I think so. We'll talk about uh, it. The uh, joke's not very funny, Brody. Okay. Uh- <laughs> Why are you
0: laughing? It was an aug- Now you're laughing because you're feeling uncomfortable. No, I thought it was a funny dig. No, yeah. no, you didn't. See, now you're just lying. And now I'm making it more uncomfortable no, I'm good. by exposing the level of uncomfortable in here right now.
1: Nah, I'm pretty good right now. Okay. I'm cool under
0: pressure. All right, we'll see.
1: Yeah. We're staring at each other right now. What
0: were you talking about a second ago? Um,
1: well, I am talking about Utah State, but I would finished my thoughts. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah. We like Jordan Love. That's right. He's a good quarterback. Uh, they, as you said, they return a lot on defense.
1: Ten wins. I mean, good team. Well, it'll be an interesting test for the LSU defense because like they sh- the defense is better than Utah State's offense overall, so they can finally have a bit of a bounce-back game, you imagine. But Jordan Love could also make life really hard for them. At times, LSU has really struggled with dynamic quarterback. Sam Ellinger jumps to mind. Yep. So I think it's a- it's kind of a perfect balance test of chance for LSU to bounce back, but how do they deal with a, a running quarterback?
0: Um... Let's talk about the 11 a.m. kickoff. It seems to be the the, the hotness in LSU, in LSU circles. Uh, so for those that don't know, uh, LSU, I think you pointed out on Twitter, this is the first time since when?
1: Well, first pre-noon non-conference game since Appalachian State in 2008, but yeah. even that was from Hurricane Gustav. And Then yeah. 2007 was Tulane in the Superdome. Yep. Yeah. So... I remember both those games. That's how long ago those were, is that I was still a member of the LSU football team when those games happened. And Todd Pollitt's pointed out that he's pretty sure basically up as far back as 1960, LSU has never scheduled like normally, normally scheduled a pre-new non-conference game in Tiger Stadium. And to know. he is the LSU historian. Yeah, he's the expert. So, yeah, this is pretty rare. Um, I don't think people are psyched about it. Um, I wonder, though. Okay, I know that your your hardcore,
0: vocal minority LSU fans are not excited because those are the people that go to tailgate all day long and they get out there at like 8 a.m. and go all the way up until game time and they have their friends, their family. It's awesome. Everybody gets drunk. It's a great time. Uh, but I wonder if there's not a large portion of this fan base that doesn't mind 11 a.m. kickoff. First off, I know everybody in the media likes it. We love it. Anybody who's telling you in the media that they don't like the 11 a.m. kickoff is lying
1: to your face. Simply because it's just nice to be done with work early. Oh, my God. Saturday in Nashville. (laughs) I went to Indiana. So, when I was covering Indiana football games, all my games were noon games. So, I was because Eastern time. And I, Mm. I loved it. And I, I got spoiled, and then I came here, and I'm like, I have to work every night ever? Which, don't get me wrong. My job's not hard. I'm not claiming that. But it's really nice to be able to be done by five yeah. and go watch some primetime football. Yeah. Maybe have a few bevs, delete yeah. some beers.
0: And- you have to be social a little bit and hang
1: out with- it's nice. Uh, so we love it. Your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Yeah. Also, I know that I think the players love it.
0: But it, it was always nice to come back and get to party, for sure. Yeah. Especially if it's a game where you know you're going to beat their ass, which I get, too, because yeah, for, for from, from, from an LSU perspective, like the school, I get why they want every game to be a night game. It's more money. Everybody's out. They're spending money all day. Uh, they're getting liquored up all day. It makes sense. But from a player standpoint, big game against a big team? Sure, let's do it at night. I want to be under the lights. Yeah. I want to be on prime time. Hell, yeah. That's awesome. Against uh, Utah State? Nah, man, I'm trying to. I mean, I got stuff. We got, we got, we got like, we got a house party. Maybe, maybe you can hit up the bars because you'll be done in time. Like, you got stuff to do. So, uh, yeah. I, 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 if we could get like an honest polling of all LSU fans, I wonder how. Upset people really are by the 11 a.m. kickoff because I know a lot of pace. family people. I know a lot of family That's people. True. It's great for families. You bring them out there. You go to the game during the day, and then you can hang out on campus for a little bit while traffic dies down, and then you go home. And you're home at like like you said, like six, as opposed to like two a.m.
1: And even some of those hardcore tailgaters, it's a change of pace, you know. Yeah, I think some of them like it's like, oh, we're gonna make breakfast this morning. That Let's would do be it. fun too. That would yeah. be fun. I talked to the DVA tailgate guys, and oh, you know, and they they're, they're like, so yeah, good. we're gonna have some fun with some breakfast. Shout out to Zrow. Yeah, he, he uh, said he's gonna. I talked to him this morning, actually, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, I'm going to see if I can figure out how to make some, some biscuits in a Dutch oven. Uh, so anyway, that's- A getting... Dutch oven. That's, I think that's what he said, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know. I thought, mm, oh, that must be where the Dutch oven that
0: I'm thinking of comes from, an actual Dutch oven. Have you ever heard of a Dutch yes, oven? Yes, I have. Okay, well, I don't didn't know. What is it? I've, I've never I've never actually known where the original Dutch oven was. Like, what is it? Oh. Is I mean, it like a style of oven in which you bake bread, specifically? Um-
1: I think it's like a cast iron, like round, like almost like a pot type thing. Okay. Um, Yeah. Making biscuits in that. Interesting. He said he's going to try. He's going to experiment. Look, he's a culinary master. He's good. Yeah. yeah. I went to his July 4th party this year, and it was basically he just used it as a tryout for all of his tailgate recipes, and I'm like, yeah, I've never been able to go because I'm always doing game day stuff. I always got to work. It upsets me. Yeah, because you're working like a lot before the game. I work, yeah, yeah. I work all the
0: way up until kickoff. We we do our show right up until kickoff. is a bummer.
1: Yeah, I think there's a change of pace, and you know, I talked to some people. Some people at LSU were not happy about it, but some people at LSU were like, "Hey, 2017 um, Arkansas game when that got, yeah, you know, when I forget what caused that, but people were pretty. I don't remember. Uh, but you said that one ended up actually being a success. Bill kind of rallied around it. I and by the way, one other thing I wanted to say, I talked to one LSU, you know, football staffer who was yeah. actually like. Staff loves it because that actually gives you an extra day to prepare for Florida. Yes, that's a great point. And I'd never once thought of it that way. And that that's really makes a lot of sense. Um,
0: do you think it makes sense from the SEC perspective to have this game at 11 a.m. and have Vanderbilt and Ole Miss at that night slot? Because no doubt know, LSU, the cons- Utah State, the Alabama are two more- conspiracy theory. Well, no, 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 no. I, and and I don't. I think it's funny that that all lines up with Greg Byrne coming out and bitching about Alabama not getting day games. Then all of a sudden LSU gets a couple day games in a row. I don't think that's it. I mean, I think it's the SEC network simply wanting two SEC teams versus one SEC and a non-SEC team in there, because I mean that's what it's got to be, right? Because like Utah and LSU, Utah State and LSU is a better game for both teams, right? Talent wise, than is yes. Vandy Ole Miss,
1: hundred percent. Yeah, okay. No one's gonna watch Vandy Ole Miss. Yeah,
0: no one will. But it, but well, except for like the SEC networks P ones, right? Like their main consumers, they they want to own every SEC fan base. Those will be the people that tune
1: into that night game. Probably, but Vandy's is a relatively small one. Ole Miss people, oh, will. I guess. You're Ole Miss right. people will.
0: But so okay, so then, do you think it's a good choice for for the, like, is it a good business choice for the SEC network to move that
1: game tonight and keep LSU in the morning? I mean, LSU is one of the most exciting teams in football right now, so my gut would tell me no. Yeah, you're but I'm, right. that's not really my expertise. But yeah, I, I would say no. Uh, I I just think one Jordan Love doesn't get many major games, and people do kind of know who he is, so mm. he brings his own little little flair. Like, there's no entry to Vandy Ole Miss yeah there's there's no even last year when Ole Miss was a dumpster fire you at least had some star players you knew you were going to watch some future pro wide receivers and whatnot Jordan Tamu and some great players Vandy Ole Miss right now there's nothing selling that game to you so do you think it is just because they're both in the
0: SEC that's why they did it just 'cause just cuz they want that primetime slot to be This is an area
1: I'm still like trying to like kind of learn more about and I'll be the first to admit that, but you would have to think so or maybe yeah. there is validity to the the Alabama thing. I mean, I I don't think that's a a crazy conspiracy theory, let's put it that way. No,
0: because I mean to your point, I mean, how else started playing so many night games was Joe Oliva went to Sankey and was like, "Hey, we want to play more night games." And so they 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 made
1: it happen. But fucking Crimson Emperor, dude. <laughs> He's fucking everywhere. But uh Yeah, I think there's going to be a decent amount of LSU fans who are angry and a decent amount who are going to have a good time with it. And also, you just tailgate after the game. Yeah, that's another thing ever. Look, we're not
0: from Indiana, okay, Brody? We don't understand how Big Ten traditions work. And Brody's not from
1: Indiana, but but he sure, worked yeah. there. Yes. But the funny thing about Indiana was like no one cared about the game, so the only thing they got into was the tailgating. <laughs> so no, I'm not. They actually made shirts that said "Game time is nap time." It was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd wake up at like 5 a.m. hit up Breakfast Club at this the Kilroy's Bar on. Uh, on, wow, I forgot the street, Kirkwood, wow, it's embarrassing, and you would just drink for seven hours. Man, six our o- Indiana listeners are going to be <laughs> livid. fucking furious with you. <laughs> and you just drink for seven hours, and then game time would come, and you'd be like, all right, like right, let's go see what games are on TV. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, oh, so you funny. filled like a quarter of Memorial I, Stadium. I have, it was bad. I
0: have always wondered what it's like to be a part of a college football fan base where your team sucks. And I see the people in the stands. Like like I look at an Arkansas game and they're still putting really respectable amounts of people in the stands. And, yeah. and, and and I'm wondering like like who are these? Like like who who just loves is it and I guess it's about like community and getting out and doing something fun. Yeah. But like who's just keeping it? Who's just supporting the Hogs so much? They're still dedicating their Saturday to go watching them lose at home to San Jose State.
1: Well, at least Arkansas is a team with like a program with like a rich football history, and like that is what matters in Arkansas. And there's yeah. like a culture there. I think the comparables are the Indianas, Kansases, and Vanderbilts.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Those are the most comparable.
1: Where it's like you are, for the most part, all three of them are in one form or another basketball schools. Yeah, football has historically been awful at all three, and. At least the one thing Vandy – because like Van- Kansas and IU, they're not filling up. Even the opposing teams aren't filling that stadium up. It's At least like- Vandy
0: has Nashville.
1: I was gonna say yeah. Vandy can fill it up because like these home uh, row teams want to go, you know, visit Nashville. And
0: you know, credit to Vandy, they get it. They let the LSU band oh, perform before the game, which is like you can be a dick and say it's an ultimate rollover move. I'm gonna be a realist and say they knew they knew what was coming. Like they knew, and they, they see the crowd, they see that it's a majority LSU basically in that stadium. They're being great
1: hosts, yeah. They're being good hosts, they probably realize that's where the money's coming from. Yes,
0: exactly. That's what I'm saying. I, it's I, I, I respect Vandy for that move. Self awareness
1: is key in this world,
0: I agree. And Vandy has it. Um, also, it's it's kind of a good marketing ploy by them because right now, I think if you pulled L, if you pulled SEC fans. As to what the one destination, if you could pick one away game to go to, I would be fascinated to see how high up on the Ooh. list Vandy would finish.
1: Yeah, a because lot of you got to factor in, like, do they want to see a certain stadium? Do yeah, they a wanna... lot
0: of people would be purists, right? Maybe they'd be like, well, I just want to see what Bryant-Denny's like. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Sanford at night the other wow. night
1: looked incredible, right? But Tiger Stadium.
0: Nashville's hard to beat. Yeah, and Tiger Stadium's got its own aura about it. But uh, as far Ooh, as what's visiting your a city. Let's do it. <sighs> okay, where would I want to go on the road? Um I I think
1: okay so I I think Athens ranks pretty high for me.
0: Athens is my favorite college town because you got to factor in
1: all the little pieces, town, yeah. stadium, football. You're going to see those are the three core things, right? It's probably the strongest part because from a pure stadium perspective,
0: I think Florida and the Swamp is the most impressive. Ooh, um, because how they built it's very interesting. Oh, it's Tiger Stadium
1: counts in here though. Like I'm ranking uh, all the SEC cities, but
0: I can't. But I can't give perspective on what it would be like to have that be your like. Away visit. I'm sure. Out- I'm sure would be as an outsider.
1: I think Tiger Stadium's number one. In oh season. wow! I really do. I think it's the best place to watch. You're football not again. pandering to our audience. No. If anything, they make me mad. How much they're in my mentions yelling at me. So, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think Tiger Stadium's the best place to watch football. Wow. Again.
0: That, okay. Now that, that's that's good to hear. Um, I guess. But yeah, Georgia's always been my number one from the total package, like you said, because I think Athens is the best college town. Yeah. Uh, Florida from a pure state because they build it right on top of you and it's very they just talking shit the whole time the fans are and they're right there but then like you don't really want to go to Gainesville do
1: you no, it, it, uh, that's at the bottom of it yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. so it's tricky yeah so, so the, they take a big
0: hit there that's yeah. gonna lower them uh Tuscaloosa is all right. Tuscaloosa is solid, I've had and then you got a great stadium, there. and you're going to see some great football.
1: Um, so that's at least in the top five by default.
0: I just have no, you know, I obviously have such a bias for them that I would never put them personally at the top
1: of my list. And by the way, I think Sanford's in the top three places to watch a football game in the yeah. SEC. So like between Athens, the hedges, baby. I think I think Georgia might like by all things considered end up taking the number one spot. I think Vandy's football is so weak; it almost it's like it puts it like number four. Vandy's
0: football is the Gainesville of Florida, right? Yeah. Like it's it's the same type of weakness that's cutting its legs out from underneath them.
1: So I think you put Vanderbilt like the number four range.
0: So what do we have? Georgia I think one, George number one. I really and then do. LSU two, or who's two? I think it might be. I think LSU two. Who else is there? Are we missing a major stadium? Auburn, dude, I've never been that impressed no. with Jordan Hair. Jordan Hair is not really done anything for me. And even I Auburn as a school, yeah. if you want to party at Auburn, it's all right. It's very country boy partying. Um, what's wrong with that? Even though Big Sky is a lot
1: of I fun, I don't love a And like the stadium. Ooh, College Station stadium's pretty cool. I love I don't the know stadium. Anything about a And like College Town? I don't love College Station. Yeah. Really, uh, and we know Johnny Manziel doesn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that tweet. Uh. Yeah, I really think like at some point maybe like Alabama's number 3 just cuz you factor in like people want to see Alabama.
0: Yeah, okay. So, our final hold that podcast podcast, where would you want to visit? All, All the SEC considered. rankings go uh UGA number 1, LSU number 2, uh Alabama number 3 and
1: Vanderbilt and coming in at number four is That's that right? crazy. And I, I'm not confident about Alabama right now. I just feel like we're missing somebody. We
0: could maybe fl- I would be, I mean, well also but I can't trust my
1: opinion when it comes to Bama, but
0: yeah. If I had to choose, I would one thousand percent choose a trip to Nashville over going to T Town to watch. Me too, a overall. Game.
1: Yeah. I just can't speak I'm trying to think for other people as well.
0: Um all right, there are your rankings. Uh okay, look. Um uh, this point. is the bi week episode. Of the hold that podcast, podcast. One thing I want to get into next week because um, we'll look forward to kind of the we'll we'll go over the schedule and we'll look forward to the paths remaining to this LSU team. And we will. um, uh, I I want to do something that you talked about, Brody. You actually wrote about, which is I want to nitpick. A little bit, and, yeah. and 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 that's basically what we do on the show, anyway. But like, I, I think the perspective that you provided is really smart and uh, and, and worth hearing. Where this is a this is uh, this is a team that is operating under the caliber of what we are, or the context of what we talk about, a championship caliber team, and so that's a good place to be, right? We're, we, when we're critiquing. The issues we're talking about are not dumpster fires. It's not like this is completely broken and has to be fixed. Like, the O-line is super improved. They are way better than yes. they were last season. It's just that on an offense where everything else is perfect, even though they've been really good, it's not uh, – we're going to nitpick. And we're going to say, okay, this maybe we're a bit weak, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I do want to apply that to the whole team, and we can get into that next week. Uh, Brody, as we go out here, tell everybody where they can find your work.
1: Yeah, so uh check out The Athletic uh and subscribe to get, you know, all of our national coverage. Follow me at, at @brodie a. miller. We're going to have some stories this week on, on jambalaya. We're going to have a mailbag. Oof, man, a lot of pressure. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what's going on with the iTunes thing, dude. It's they they
0: they're, what's they're, going being, on, they're being ridiculous. They're having like I'm going to do an server issues on their side or something. Yeah, dude, right Athletic write investigates. Yeah. Um uh yeah, shout out to Brody though, writing a jambalaya article, a a Pennsylvania native. Who grew up? Jersey native. Jersey native. That's what it is. Jersey native, but who grew up
1: a fan of Philly things? I'm a Jersey. I was an Ohio-born, Jersey-raised, Indiana-educated, Mississippi-groomed, Louisiana now current person. Even writing an article
0: about jambalaya.
1: You're almost like a human gumbo
0: yourself, aren't you? I like that. Wow. That's well, my new Twitter bio. You. You're H- a cultural, human, a cultural gumbo, human gumbo, I should say. You're a cultural gumbo, Brody Miller. I love it. Wait, can I ask you one last thing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, yes, uh, I would love to talk about A-Bear Meats. Absolutely. Everybody should fantastic go. Fantastic Specialty Meats off of Jefferson. Go buy all your ribeye with bacon burgers. It's incredible, man. A-Bear no, Specialty We can do meats. this
1: really quickly. But I just, yeah, I'm kidding. Uh, What's up? So I'm going to address on my mailbag tomorrow. But I had a, oh, uh, yeah, a, a follower uh, ask me. He didn't ask me, but he pointed out. You want me to show it to you? No, uh, I have it right here. Oh, I thought you were... I thought you me- Oh, never mind. Sorry. Uh, he put fifty dollars in the summer on Joe Burrow two hundred to one to win the Heisman. So it would have been fifty dollars to win ten thousand dollars. Now I saw this. I saw this. The saw site this. he's using. Um, it's one of those books that like kind of gives you buyouts to you know because they don't want to lose ten thousand dollars, so they'll give you a buyout based on value where you're at. Joe Burrow skyrocketed up the ranks. He's number yeah. two in the Heisman odds right now. He has an option. Keep mind he plays fifty dollar bet. It's pretty. let Let's Five change. zero and he's getting an option to cash out right now for 1791.8 dollars 08 cents. That's like a what? 36 to yeah, 1 payout. Yeah. And I and also like I don't know how old this person is. I think there's so many factors Sheet. here. If you're a college student, I think you cash that out immediately, asap. If you're like a grown man, maybe you can like, you know, ride that out and have some fun. I don't fun know with
0: though, it. man, with the, part of the with the SEC schedule coming up, maybe if you want to let it ride, a Utah state game cuz you think he'll have another good game, but like with Auburn's defense coming up, do you want to wait too long to cash this ticket? That looks like a damn good Auburn defense. Now the flip side is, if he goes and balls out against Auburn's defense, then your yes, buyouts going even more up. So I asked but this is the classic gambling conundrum, right? Yes. How far are you willing to push things? No, I softy, you cannot. I would,
1: you cannot wait any. You can. You have to cash before the Bama game. That's for hundred percent. Yeah, sure. I would say so. Unless it dips, um, I asked Colin Wilson of the it's Action true, Network. If you get a lot, oof, man, if he wins
0: that Bama game, though, bro, I mean, well, at
1: that, that point, you ride it out because if yeah, he wins Bama, you might be the Heisman winner. <laughs> But I asked Colin Wilson of the Action Network, who's one of my favorite college football followers. I really recommend reading his stuff. He's fantastic. He combines gambling and just overall really smart college football mind. He uses a lot of analytics. And I asked him his thoughts, and he said he would advise waiting until after the Utah State game. Get, that's two more weeks I of agree. time for other people to kind of wash themselves out. One probably going to have one more good game, and you could probably cash out for, I don't know, 2500 Damn. What, From good a for 50 that guy. Bed, good for dude. that guy. Showing became a little Twitter famous yesterday because of this.
0: Showing faith in the borough. Uh, I forgot. We were supposed to set up a question segment for our own email mailbag. Next uh, week. Maybe we'll do that. Um, look, all we're here for is nuanced LSU football talk. You'll get it by now. That's why you're here, too. Uh, so I'm T-Bob Abear off the bench. Check everything out we do at 1045ESPN.com. Brody Miller. Go to the Uh, Y'all have like a football sign-up going
1: on right now, I think? Um, we're, I, I don't know if we have a code yet, but we, are, we have a food blitz coming up right now. Okay. That's going to have a, a new promotion code for a good discount with this new food blitz this week. I will tweet it out when it's out. Okay. By the way, when I asked you if you wanted to see it earlier. Um, yeah, what was that? I was making a penis joke. Nice. About
0: mine. Um, did you see Kyle Long? Tariq Cohen did an Instagram live mm. from uh, the Bears locker room after the win last night. And Kyle Long's profile view penis is all over it. Good for him. I don't know. I guess it's not. No, no. Yeah, no. It's not. It's. it's, I think. Look, I've been with a lot of fat white guys, and it's not always an impressive sight. I think. I think he's fine. I don't. I think he's fine in that regard. I I just like who just you know. I'd be a little salty at my teammate if all of a sudden my profile view dicks everywhere because he was Instagram living from the locker room. It's not a veteran move. Not a veteran move. Not a veteran move at all. Gotta do better than that. Uh, and we'll do better than that as well
1: here on the Hold That Podcast we will podcast. do not have any profiles of our genitalia. You. Maybe.
0: You never know. Stick around. Yo-gulani's. Spread the word. HTTP, baby. Uh, look, if you do enjoy it, spread the word. Tell your friends. And we'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new edition of the Hold That Podcast podcast.